welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grace Assembly of God Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. If you would like additional information, visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. All right, well, this morning you can turn in your Bible or on your smartphone device to uh, the book of Daniel, and uh, we're going to be hanging out there today through this passage of Scripture today that I'm excited to speak with you on. And we have a, new, this has been a, a relatively new series we've started up. Pastor Paul brought uh, the word last week on a man named Joseph, how God used his situations, things in his life to turn it around for the glory of God and to use that situation and in a significant way. We're also going to be looking at uh, the story of Daniel today and what God's going to use a particular situation he faced and, and used it to reach many, many people. Uh, the title of the message is Everlasting Impact, and this truly is a wonderful story that illustrates to us the impact you and I have when we live for God. It has an everlasting impact. And uh, it's not a temporary impact, it is everlasting impact. And we're going to unfold that and what that looks like for us uh, today. And so, um, if you've ever had decisions you've had to make in your life that have had an impact, um, you know, you'll know that there can be stress, worry, and anxiety, as well as a shift and change into details in your life, such as where to go to school, what place to live, where to work, what career path to choose, you know, all these different things, these activities we want to be involved with, and they have significant uh, impact on the way we live our life. And so uh, to kind of illustrate this, you know, for me, when it comes to impact and decision making, I, you know, my freshman year of, of college, I lived off campus with my, my older brother, uh, who we, him and I went to the same school together in college, and then uh, my my brother got married, and so then uh, that I took a huge financial hit because he kicked me out, and and then I had to move back on campus, which meant more money coming out of my pocket, and so I had to live, you know, the sophomore and part of my junior year on campus, and then about halfway through my junior year, I, one of my friends that I had known who, who wasn't going at the school at the time, but he was going to another school offered me a place to live that was 30 seconds away from the campus. And so I saw that it would change my financial situation drastically. Uh, 135 bucks a month. You cannot beat that cost, um, which was amazing to me in, in Missouri. And so, uh, you know, we, I get into the house, and when I say it's a hole in the wall, I'm not talking figuratively. I'm talking literally there were holes in the wall. Um, you know, there are a lot of people that have lived there, people shoving things in the wall. It was kind of gross, but uh, I was like, man, you cannot, I cannot beat that price. And so then I started figuring out when the winter, you know, when winter season hits, um, when, you, when you don't have the proper windows and air starts to leak through the windows, it gets relatively cold in your house. And so my, my roommate and I, Joel, we were, um, we, we were going to bed in, uh, in hoodies and, and we had gloves on. We would have long pants on, like these really extra thick socks on. And uh, then we got the brilliant idea to get these space heaters. But then we got the electric bill. And then we're like, no more space heaters, or we'll do it at a relatively certain amount of time. And uh, it was just 
brutal, to say the least. And so we realized there were there's going to be a few hours of day where we're going to be warm inside that house, which consisted of when we used a space here and when we took a shower. That was pretty much the only time it would ever be warm in there. And then I, when I met my, my beautiful wife, Amber, we got married. And then I realized that house was not going not gonna to sit well. So we had to relocate into another location, which we got a, a nice apartment relatively close to where we were both working at the time. And, you know, and then obviously a lot of decisions have been made since that time, moving here and, and just, uh, it was crazy how many decisions have an impact on what you do and how you process things. And so this morning we're going to look at decisions that are made by both Daniel and other people that had a significant impact in his life as well as those around them. And so we're going to look at this, a man named Daniel. And uh, we're actually going to be looking at chapter 6 today, but I'm not going to be able to cover everything in this because Daniel is a rich book full of history, full of problems, and full of prophetic words given by a man named Daniel. And so uh, to to kind of give an introduction to this, Daniel has has basically uh, lived a crazy, crazy life. You talk about a man who had to adapt several different times throughout his life. It was truly amazing to watch him adapt in cultures uh, over and over and over again and be successful in each and every one of those culture uh, that was set. So uh, just to kind of give you an idea, around 605 BC, a man named King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel uh, actually was in and around the area of Jerusalem when he was young. And they believe uh, around 605 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon comes and invades the city he conquers, and then he takes a group of Jewish people back to Babylon. And he only took back those who were like upper class, those who were smart and intelligent, the best of the best, basically. And he brings them back to Babylon. And that is where Daniel, who was a teenager at the time, ends up being taken back to Babylon. And this is where, uh, this is where the story of Daniel starts to unfold as to how he adapted into so many different situations. So eventually... King Nebuchadnezzar is no longer there. Daniel is now, uh, you know, trying to serve another king. And, and I mean, he served several kings. Belshazzar is one. And then all of a sudden we see Belshazzar no longer there. And then we see a man named King Darius, which is what the scripture is going to be mentioning his name to, today in chapter 6. And, uh, and so we see this unpacking, um, um, you know, not just impact. He has to shift into the Babylonian empire and th- somehow thrive which he does, and then he has to shift into now a Persian empire. You talk about a guy who has to constantly be adapting. I mean, it would be overwhelming, to say the least, that this man has to do all this. And so Daniel, time and time again, is prospering no matter who was in charge. And so this is such a beautiful thing. He, and he didn't lose his character, didn't lose his integrity, he didn't, didn't forfeit his spiritual disciplines, I mean, he was growing up in a foreign kingdom, learning how to serve and, and balance his, his relationship with God, as well as serve a king uh, that doesn't care anything about his God. And so this is such a uh, relatively famous story um, that is given in this chapter 6. So before you tune me out, I will tell you this, that there are several things that will unpack that will truly help you in your life when we talk about Daniel and the lion's den, which... 
Most of us, if we've grown up in church, have heard this story before, but I believe that God's going to show some fresh new things to you. And so in your uh, program you handed on the way in, you should have the notes there as well as things you can write down for yourself on, and even in the YouVersion Bible app uh, that we have. So let's look at this. Important details we need to notice this morning is this first point, that, that his work was not worship to a king, but to God. His work was not worship to a king, but to God. Look, uh, summarizing these first two verses, simply, King Darius enters the scene. And if you would look up history about King Darius, I would just say, in short, he is an administrative genius. That's what they consider King Darius to be. If you're an admin person in the room, if you're an administrator and working in any kind of administration, King Darius is your guy. He was an administrative genius. And this is what he was known for. He's known for his building structures, things like that. But the man was just brilliant when it came to this. And so in these first couple of verses, we see that what Darius starts to do. He, 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 he gets 120 satraps to be, basically these are rulers, governors over local, uh, local communities. And basically he needs order because if you're conquering foreign places, how many know uprisings happen a lot because they don't want to serve you because or technically, you're not their king, but now you've conquered them, so now they're forced. So he's got to have order. Then he, he has three administrators over these 120, which one of these people is Daniel. So Daniel, I mean, he's like getting promotion after promotion after promotion, even no matter who is in charge. I mean, this guy has, has, has exceptional character, to say the least. And so as we start to see this, you know, we, we obviously understand what King Darius is worried about. He's worried about and even those who are leaders over nations worry about the same thing, about assassinations and, and people, you know, rioting, things that can get out of control. And so he, this is what he's doing. He's trying to prevent that from happening. And so let's look at this in the verses 3 through 5 about what takes place in the life of Daniel. Because Daniel is now introduced when King Darius comes into the scene. Now Daniel, in verse 3, so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Promotion time again. At this, the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. That was the only way. They knew if they could get something to conflict with uh, Daniel and his faith and, between, and, and serving the King Darius, they knew they had him. And so from this, I want us to understand a concept here that I have just shared with that first point. His work was not worship to a king, but to God. How was he able to excel every single time, no matter who was in charge? It's because he realized the concept, the original purpose. Look at it, and if you would look at it in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve entered the garden, when, they, when Adam is created, before sin enters the world, God gives Adam a job. God gave Adam a job. Which means you're not just going to go to heaven and sit on a cloud and play harps all day. You're going to have responsibility. You're going to have a job to do. And now some of us are like, oh man. Like I no. Now when sin enters the world, that's when conflict and complications start to happen. And you know certain things that you don't want to do start to take place. And over, now we start to see the downfall, you know, of certain things when it comes to work. However, 
when it came for Daniel, he understood the original purpose of work. It was not just a king, an earthly king. It was his worship to the king of kings. That's who it was. When, I, when he does that, righteousness flows in and through him, and so they could not find anything on him. Because why? Because he wasn't necessarily answering to an earthly king, but he was answering to a higher king. And so it starts to take note, even when people don't even believe in the same God that you do. I mean, you talk about powerful. I mean, he, he's, in, he's about to get promoted over the entire kingdom. I mean, you talk about a big responsibility. He's just getting a big promotion. And you'll understand when you lose focus of what work is supposed to be about, you'll start to do exactly what the people who opposed Daniel did. You get jealous of people getting promoted, getting a bigger salary. You'll get, you'll get angry when somebody is smarter than you and they're getting better grades than you. You start to lose your focus because you're starting to act just like they were. You started, to, act, you started to, to, to cut corners in your work. You start doing things that, well, nobody will know, so it's okay. Because why? Because all you're trying to do is please somebody who's earthly, and you're forgetting about your heavenly Father when he notices all things. And you're, if you're a Christian, you're a representation of him. You're a representation of the gospel and his love for people. If that's who we are, if that's who we are claiming to be, then it must show up in our workplaces. It must show up when we're learning, whether it's in school. And I love, this is a great leadership lesson for people who are in supervisors, bosses, if you're wanting to be a leader, whatever, over anything. I will say this to you. Watch, this is, this is such an important thing for Daniel. Daniel was a leader who led people, but he was also teachable. That's still, that still needs to be there. Sometimes people think leaders have to have all the answers. Nope, they don't. They don't have to have every single answer because you know what? It, you can't know everything. You can't. It's impossible. You can't know everything. So Daniel, it says they noticed that he, was, he wasn't corrupt and he wasn't negligent, but he worked hard. He had to learn his Jewish culture. Then Babylon comes in. Now he's got to learn Babylonian culture and how they do things. Then he's got the Persian Empire. Now he's got to learn the Persian Empire and how they do things. I mean, you talk about a guy who has to adapt, but he, he continuously worked at it. He was, he was a leader, but he was also teachable. As soon as you, lead, as soon as you lose that, if you lose the, the idea of being taught, you're in trouble. You have lost focus. Because if you can't be taught by anybody else, then what makes you think you're gonna, even going to listen to God? I mean, at the end of the day, like, if, if nobody can teach you anything, then what makes you think God's going to be able to teach you anything? When he tells you to pray for your leaders, when he tells you to, to, to be responsible, to not be negligent or care, careless, but to know that, that Daniel took this very, very seriously. And so I think it's, a, it's, a, it's such an important thing for us to draw out simply because Daniel realized that his worship was not to necessarily an earthly king, but to God. And this is, this is what the, the first point is about. And so I, I don't know if you've, you know, for me personally, I, I've learned how to, to do this, you know, several times throughout my, my life and my journey. And I've learned more and more about this, still am. But uh, when I was in college, I, you know, I wanted to get a job. And so I started working at Home Depot and I started doing certain things. And I, 
It was fun. I mean, I got to interact with people. I got to do certain things. And then they wanted to move me to a place called receiving, which I was like, whatever, I don't care. Um, I, you know, I'll work and give me more hours. That's fine with me. And so they moved me to a back with two individuals that uh, I know by name and I know their faces. And, you know, I started to realize that uh, through conversations that other employees have with one another, that these were the two people no one else wanted to be around. And, I, and so now, woo, promoted, get to be with them, right? And so, uh, and I get no other interaction with any other customers now because I'm back there in the, in the back. And so it's just me and them, and, and, and them two. And so I'm just back there and I'm like, I'm starting to learn some things about them. I, wonder, I notice one guy is, is, is very angry because of a lot of things that have happened to him. And, and the other one, the other lady, and she was, she was wonderful, but she had been hurt by a lot of Christians because of her lifestyle. And, and so... I learned from the other guy uh, that there were a couple of things that were said to him by Christians. Both people were hurt by Christian people, and those were the two things that started to come out until they started to realize, oh, you're training to be a pastor. <laughs> How conversations change very quickly, right? And so, um, and so they started to recognize that, and then I noticed that they started to avoid me a little bit, get consumed in their work, and I'm just like, whatever, I'm going to stay out of it because I don't want to offend them. I don't want to make them angry. And then God dealt with me on this principle. Is you're, you're working f- for them, and you need to do the responsibilities they give to you. But remember who is the greater authority. And so rather than just saying, I want to get my stuff done, I looked for opportunities God dealt with me to start working through their situations by, you know, for example, I would hear uh, my supervisor, she would always say, okay, I got to get this, this, and this done. And I realized that my tasks were going to be done a whole lot faster than hers. And so I would start to say, hey, I can do that part if you want me to. And she looked at me like, okay, like you can do it. And then I started to realize through this other guy, he started having tasks a lot more. I said, hey, I can help you with that one if you want me to so that you don't have to do it. I know how to do it. And over and over and over again, you know, and even it was was wonderful to see how God worked in that situation because I had a lot of deep conversations with him when it came to, to the Lord. And my favorite part, what, and understand what I'm saying here. Um, my favorite part was the last day when I was about to leave and uh, my supervisor, she came to me and said, you know, it was a pleasure working with you. Thank you. And it was t- two different people that I had met. The first encounter I had with her and the last encounter I had with her. And I said, God, this works. When I start to realize that I'm not just serving a supervisor, I'm serving the king of kings, God. When I bring that into my life, when I shift my focus towards that, the way I work, the way I learn starts to change. I start to be a little bit more dedicated. I start to realize I'm not going to wait for a promotion just so that I can start getting better or start working harder. No, I'm going to work hard now because a lot of people say, you know, I'm waiting for the calling of God on my life. Listen, you do what you have under your responsibility right now, and your calling, I promise, will find you. Stop searching for your calling and start being faithful with where you are and watch your calling find you. Watch it. It will happen. It happened to me. When I started to realize, you know what, I'm not going to wait until I become a pastor to start witnessing the people. I'm going to start witnessing now so that when I become a pastor, it'll be easy. It won't be a new concept. You know, I'm going to do that in my workplace. I'm going to start reaching out to them, finding ways to serve them and watch how they start to change their attitude towards you. But when you shift your focus in a direction that's not of God, when you start to do what these people did who were opposed, you will start to focus on what they focused on. Yeah, I want the promotion. I want the bigger salary. I want the influence. I, and it becomes 
I, 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 I. It becomes all about us when it's not about us. It's about serving the king. This is such a wonderful thing to learn when you look at the life of Daniel. And let's look at the next one. His love for God was unwavering. And basically summarizing what happened in the verses 6 through 9, Daniel is, uh, I, I would say this, this is a very important principle for leaders, people who have strengths in a room, which pretty much goes for everybody. Hopefully in this room, you all have strengths, right? Correct, I would say you all have strengths. Okay, um, just making sure you're with me here. But don't forget, your strength still has a weakness. Because you know why? Because you're human. You know Darius's strength was organization. He was an admin genius. But the people who were supposed to be loyal manipulated it. Watch, watch what they do. They go and they say, we've got to come up with something that will, will put Daniel in a bad situation and make him be guilty. So what do they do? They know Darius is paranoid about assassinations, about riots, about all these different things. So what do they do? They go to, they go to Darius and say, let's test all the people of our kingdom by putting 30 days, basically saying, you worship no other God besides Darius. And Darius took the bait, and he did it. It was a bad decision. It was his strength to know everything, but he didn't realize that the enemies that were against him were using the strengths to actually show him that it's not as strong as you think. It's actually a weakness. A lot of times we're afraid that the weaknesses are going to be the things that destroy us. I would say that can happen, but at the same time, the best way for the enemy attack, to attack you is attacking your strengths and finding the hole that's in your strength because he realizes you already notice your weakness. You already know what it is. But he knows that if he's going to be deceiving and he's going to be able to trick you, he has to find a weakness in your strength. And that's what will trip you up. That's the thing that will get us all. And it's such a crazy thing that happens to Darius, but he, he didn't realize what was happening. He didn't, and Darius loves Daniel. I mean, what, you wouldn't put him over the entire kingdom, would you? I mean, if you didn't love Daniel, he loves him. He thinks he's amazing. In fact, when we find out that, he, that, that, he, that Daniel didn't necessarily obey the decree, Darius is trying everything within his power to change it, and he couldn't. Because why? He, because he had written it. He had said it. It had come out, and what you, you have to be a person of your word, especially if you're a king. Otherwise, you lose respect. And so Darius is put into a bad situation. But Daniel's love was unwavering. As we look at this in verse uh, 10 through 12, this is what it says. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed giving thanks to his God as he had done before. These men were, went as a group, found Daniel praying and asking God for help. You talk about stalking. That is weird. Why would you do that? Like, there's no social media, and yet you're going to go and interrupt the guy's prayer time just to see what he's doing? Like, you're creepy people. Um, so they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? King answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians and which cannot be repealed. But, you know, when I, was, when I always had this taught to me, the perception was 
that Daniel was being defiant when he found out, when actually he never changed his spiritual discipline. It, It was like Daniel went, you know, in response, Daniel goes up to his room, he flings open the windows, and he gets on his knees, and he starts to pray to, to God for everybody to see. It was like, for me, the perception was, that's a little defiant, it sounds like, but why would he go to that extreme? But when I started to read this text a little bit more carefully, I started to realize, you know, he was doing it as he had done before. See, our, when we follow the Lord, it's not about being defiant towards somebody, It's don't change your spiritual discipline. Do not waver in who you are. Do not waver in what you do for the Lord. Don't move. You stand firm. Daniel wasn't being defiant. He was just continuing what he had normally done. He knew that I need the Lord more than ever before. And I think what happens a lot of times with people is when we ask for God to bless us, Sometimes I wonder, even with my own life, when I'm asking God for a blessing, I, I start to think about some things in my life where I'm like, you know, God, would I, able, would I be able to handle the blessing? Because a lot of times what happens is people get, are asking for success, and when they get it, their spiritual disciplines are gone. For example, you get a promotion. Well, I'm too busy now. I got so much more to do, so much more responsibilities. Your spiritual disciplines start to change. Less time for church, less time for serving, and, you know, a lot of different things. Well, you know, it's, I just, you know, I can't. You know, my kids got, they're doing so well in this and that and this and that. And your spiritual discipline starts to change because of children's success. I mean, it's, it's right here in the text. Like, sometimes God will not allow blessing simply because he knows it will waver you. And I need to start asking, God, is there anything that I need to move and shift in my life so that when you do bless me, because you want to bless me, I can receive it and I can handle it because I will not waver one way or the other. My spiritual disciplines will not change. And I get more and more concerned about our society because I feel like we're having to start, even people who call themselves Christians are having to be convinced, are having to be convinced to come to church. I'm like, what is that about? You need to be convinced to be in the house of God? And I realized that more and more we can become, people can become experts at throwing rocks at the church, not serving the church. We have to be better than that. Like, I, some, like for me, like going to church, hey, that's fine. Giving, that's fine. I don't need that. I, I can, I, you know, I don't want greed in my heart. So it didn't have to be taught to me that much. I was like, hey, if it's what God wants, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do whatever God tells me to do. Because when I came to know him, I came to realize the greatest thing of all time, that nothing else can buy me, no time could ever give me. I just know that when I'm with God, something miraculous changes me. And this is what I want. I want to please the king. And I think what happens a lot of times here in America is we have created a culture that is not a saving faith, but we've created an egocentric style of Christianity, which is not Christianity at all, where it's all about you. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the one who has the kingdom that will last for all of eternity. That's what it's about. This is, you know, you may be thinking, where did that come from? I don't know. Um, it comes out, right? Because I get concerned. I get concerned. Listen, it doesn't help me to sugarcoat the gospel when I'm told to proclaim the gospel. You can't do both. 
And, you know, some people get mad at the pastor. Oh, I'm just, I don't agree with you, pastor. There's the problem. You're, you're, you're using your ecocentric style. I just don't think, no, listen, if this is what happens in our culture a lot, you get mad at the pastor and say, I don't like what Pastor Bobby had to say about this, this or that, or Pastor Paul, this, this or that. Listen, all I'm asking you to do, and all Pastor Paul and, and Pastor Daniel is asking you to do, is to wrestle with this. Wrestle with it. We have lost the style of wrestling with this. And we just think, well, I just don't think. Well, stop saying that phrase because it's revealing your card. It's, you're revealing. What, what, it's not even about the scripture anymore. It's about you. We have to change. And this is what, I mean, I, I, listen, I'm preaching to myself just as much because as soon as I start sell, telling that to God, I realize, whoops, my egocentric part of me just came out. And I need to change that. As soon as I say it, I thank God, you, I have to stop myself. And I have to look to God's word and I say, okay, what do you think? Is there a passion that I need to have more passion for? Do I need to have a passion for reaching a loss? Do I need to be more passionate in, my, passionate in my worship? Because a lot of times I get concerned when people say they can't be passionate in a church service, but then you see them out in the sports arena and they're acting like a crazy person. Like you don't even recognize them. And then they come here and they're dead silent. And I, no, your shift in focus needs to change as to what's more important in your life. And, because, and trust me, when you trust God at his word and you don't trust necessarily what everybody tells you or what even you tell yourself, I promise you God will fulfill his promise. He will. He does it every time. And it may be uncomfortable. I get it. But if you're going to follow Jesus, you better get uncomfortable. Welcome to the club. Ask everybody around this room. Okay, we got to move on. All right. Um, where are we? Okay. Verse, uh, chapter 3. Chapter 3. Or chapter 3. Part 3. His God was declared to an entire kingdom. Chapter 6, verses 19 through 27. Verses 13 through 18, if I'm to summarize that, I would simply say this. He's just, King Darius gets distressed because Daniel has not fallen into decree, tries to change it. He can't. So he realizes he has to follow through. He tells Daniel in the passage that tells us this. He says, may the God save you from the lion's den. And if I'm Daniel, I'm thinking, you can change it right now, buddy. Just do it. Like, please. Like, what, what are you saying these things? All it takes is for you to just rip that thing up. Like, what's taking you so long? And so nothing happens. Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den. And then we start to see how this unfolds, how it tore up Darius inside. And this is what we see Darius do at the, in verse 19. At first light of dawn, the king got up, hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you, continuous, or you serve continually, been able to rescue from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I have been found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed, gave orders to lift out of the den, uh, Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, the wound was found on, found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, now Darius is angry. The men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. You talk about a king who just lost it, right? As soon as he realized what was going on. I mean, he lo loses it. But before we get into the next part of that, 
passage. Uh, we'll talk about this for a few moments before we read that, uh, specifically because I want to mention some things about this before we focus in on the last portion. Um, what is happening is, is, is truly amazing with even King Darius. I want to ask King Darius, why did you call for Daniel? Why did you call for him? Has anybody survived the lion's den before? What made you have that little glimpse of hope to run to that lion's den with it closed and ask Daniel, are you still alive? What, I mean, 99% of the time, that's, but this one chance, I know if there's something that can happen, it's with Daniel's God. And it's such a wonderful way to look at it. And God can use people who don't even agree with him. God can use anybody. He can use a man who thinks he's himself God. And God uses him to even show us that just say, remember Jesus, faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Even the smallest little glimpse of hope was, was something that was stirring inside Darius. And Darius calls out to Daniel. And if I was Daniel, he's a little bit more modest. I would have been playing some jokes with him, being like, no, you know, like, you know, just like pulling some, some fast ones on him. But Daniel's a little better than I am. So um, he, he, he starts to tell him, you know, to his amazement that basically my God sent the angel and shut the mouths of the lion. And I love this. Do you see something? I see something here. Maybe you'll see it in a moment when I, when I start to explain it to you. Mouths of lions, when they're hungry, they do not shut up, right? They're going to be hungry. They're vicious, right? Especially when they're hungry. That's what they do. They would starve the lions so that as soon as they would throw anybody in there, they would just be overpowered. But you know, lions answer to a greater authority. Lions answer to a greater authority. And see, this is what the enemies of Daniel failed to realize. Because there was a Jewish title, and even in Scripture, it mentions a lion. His name's the Lion of Judah. And when the Lion of Judah shows into the room, they bow before that lion. That lion of Judah is more powerful. That lion of Judah, they answer to. Because lions don't answer unless there's a greater authority in the room, in the midst of them. The one who's the strongest gets to decide what to do. When to, go to, when to sleep, when to eat, all those things. But they, the enemies of Daniel failed to realize that there is a lion of Judah named Jesus. When he shows up in the room, the lions close their mouth. Why? because he's the greater lion. But what, what happens when you're on the other side of this? You see what happens. You see the enemy's not playing with you. When he tries to get you and convince you that sin is not a big deal in your life, that doing, cutting corners, doing stuff, nobody knows, it's not a big deal, the enemy's not playing games with you. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? Watch, look at what happens to those people. Those decisions made by those individuals ended up destroying their entire family, their entire generation. Gone. Which is the exact picture and imagery of what the enemy comes to do. First Peter 5.8 says, Be alert and of sober mind, realizing that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. He's not a lion, but he likes to impersonate one, but he can't impersonate the lion of Judah. There's a difference. When the lion of Judah enters the room, you know. When we worship God and when I'm worshiping down here, I know when God is moving in my life. There's something happening. 
And I don't know what he's telling me, and I don't know what necessarily at the first, but then I start to see and feel God move in my life. I know something's up. I know God is doing something. I can't give you every detail about what he does, but he does it. And if, I, if it only comes down to me knowing everything and, and, and trying to explain everything about God, then I might as well be like Darius and call myself God. But there are times where I just don't know what God is up to. Because why? Because he's greater. He's the Lion of Judah. And this is such a, an amazing thing. Now, i got to move so for the sake of time. But King Darius did, does something very unusual. Then does something very unusual. He declares to the entire kingdom the living God and the kingdom that will never be destroyed. Watch this. Watch this. This is amazing. He says this in verse 25. Then King Darius, not Daniel, Darius, wrote to all the nations and people of every language and all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. His re- he rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lion's den. That wasn't stated by Daniel. That was stated by a king. And we, don't, you know, we can go into speculation about what Darius actually truly believe, like what's going on. I would just say this, when you live for God and do things for God, you're going to make the headlines. You may be thinking, well, I'm never going to get on the news. I'm never going to have that kind of impact like Daniel. Listen, you want to look at the headlines of news right now? You can go look up some headlines about the news right now, and you will miss that there are more Christians being martyred for their faith than any other time in our history. You won't hear hardly a thing about it, and you may just hear a glimpse of it. You know what headline in the news today is? They're, they're concerned about what jersey number a certain, a, a certain players are going to wear. Like, really? That's the headline? Like a jersey number? We're worried about what somebody's going to wear on the red carpet. Do I, does the red carpet and the, what they're going to wear really going to impact my eternity? I'm not saying if you're into that stuff that you're a bad person. I'm into sports just as much, but I know that they have a time and place. There are certain things that just don't matter in eternity. How much money is in your bank account is not going to matter. It's going to matter if you were a good steward of what was given to you. That's what's going to matter. And watch this. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 12, we're going to look at what matters. Watch this. This is such a beautiful passage of Scripture that a man named John, he's a disciple of Jesus, he's going to start to tell us what matters. The end of days. But it's also going to reveal something for those who do not believe. It's the separation from God part. And this is what happens. Basically in verses 11 through 12, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. Verse 12, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Books, that's the, that's the word I want you to focus on. Books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Books. We always hear about the Lamb's book of life, which is important. I'm not saying it's not important. It's when you decide to follow Jesus, when you give your life to the Lord, you make the headline in the book of life. Your name gets put in there. You're his. But it also says books. Recorded what everything has been done. This would scare to death people who do not follow Jesus. This would scare them to death. Because why? They're going to know why they're separated from God. 
every thought that you dwelled on, every action you made, every word you said, if you don't have Jesus as your righteousness, as your Lord and Savior, you're going to know why you've been separated from God. It's not going to be something that's debatable. But what is amazing when it comes to a believer is that not one sin will be brought up to you. Not one. Because the Bible says, and the scripture declares this, that he forgives and forgets. And what makes us think God's going to bring that stuff up to us? Because that would be dreadful to stand in before his presence and him reminding you of everything he's, you've ever done. He can't go against his word. When he says, you call on my name and you will be saved and I will forgive and forget all of the things that you have done. This is why it's good news. This is why it's amazing. Everything you ever did. So that when people share their faith, when, when Lillian Chevre shares her faith, it makes the headline, Lillian. It makes the headline in heaven, right? That's amazing. It makes the headline. That's the headline that matters more than anything. When you serve your church, it makes the headline. Did you see them? They're trusting me to serve. Did you see them give generously? They're trusting me with their finances. They're not letting greed enter their heart. When, they, when you go and, and, and help people and meet a need, God puts that in the headline, the books. He puts it in the headline and says, did you see them? They made the headline. Did you see that the strongs meet that need? It makes the headline in heaven. It's amazing. That's the headline that matters more than anything. Not the jersey number, not what somebody's gonna wear, not what somebody's gonna do necessarily. It's gonna matter if they've done it unto the Lord. That's what, that's what lasts we're not living for a temporary kingdom. We're, la we're living for what Darius called an eternal kingdom. And he says, Daniel has been now, his, his story has been told throughout all generations. And it's a picture, and we're reading it today. If anything, that should tell you. It's lasting, and it still will continue to last. But even more than that, just because your name's not in the Bible, just because you may not make it on the news. And listen, if you make the news, praise God for you, and you reflect Christ in, what, in those things. At, but at the same time, there are a lot of us who aren't going to get that point. But that's not the headline that matters. The headline that matters is what did I do for God? That's what will matter in the end. And you will be rewarded. And not one thing you have done that you're ashamed of, not one of those things will ever be brought up by God because he will see the blood of Jesus on you. And he will say, all I see is Jesus. I don't see you. I see Jesus. Welcome into my kingdom, and here's your reward. What an encouraging note to know that the God of heaven is so loving, so caring, that he would do this for us. Because honestly, salvation is good enough for me, but to give me more than what I ever deserved in salvation, and even more than that, when he pours out blessing, church, he pours it on you. And it's not just going to be a temporary blessing. It's going to be an everlasting impact on the society and on our world. This is such a beautiful thing. Living for God has an everlasting impact. That is very, very true and will always remain true. Amen? Amen. I ask you to just remain with your heads bowed, eyes closed this morning. If you're here today and you've heard the message, you've had God stirring in your heart, decisions that you have made in your life, but there's been one decision that's been lacking, and that's you not making the decision to follow Jesus. This is an important moment for you. Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. He did not 
come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. John 3.17 tells us that. He came to give you an opportunity, a chance to be with him, to have a relationship with him because he loves you. He cares about you. And if you're in this room today and you need to make that decision to follow Jesus, I encourage you to do that this morning and I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that. The Bible says confess and believe. It's not just with your mouth, but with your heart, you're confessing. And if you're here this morning and you would like to do that, just very quickly slip up your hand. Nobody's gonna look at you. I'm not gonna point you out. I'm not gonna call your name. I'm not gonna do any of that. I just wanna know if there's anybody we need to pray for this morning. If you're here today and you would like to receive Christ, just slip up your hand. Thank you so much. We're gonna, in a moment, if you need to, maybe have some people pray for you. We'll have some people pray for you. If you're a prayer leader, if you're a part of the prayer team, if you can make your way forward at this time, if you need to have any prayer for your life, for a situation, or for a focus that needs to shift in your life, I pray that, you know, you will do that. These people are here to pray with you. Don't do it alone. Pray and ask God for, for his help. And if you're here today and you just want to thank the Lord for what he's done, we're going to have an opportunity just for a few minutes here to worship together before we are dismissed. And we're going, to, we're going to just ask the Lord to continue to do more. Don't be concerned and rush out of here because you're going to miss something. Don't miss what God has to say to you. So if you're here today, would you stand with me, church? We're going to worship the Lord for a few moments here.